0: Welcome nerds, now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling rockabilly track. Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now designing Kevlar menswear. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the amazing nerd show.
1: Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Tim. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down the latest episode of The Mandalorian, and we're also reviewing John Wick Chapter 4. Plus, I'm talking the death of E3,
2: and we're giving our predictions for WrestleMania. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more amazing Nerd Show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our Best and Worst of the Week show. Though if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts will be available for our $10 tier. That includes all of the other tiers' benefits as well.
0: Incoming. Giveaway alert.
1: All right, before we move on, the good people over at Paramount has sent us five copies of the first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds on Blu-ray to give away to our loyal listeners. All you have to do for a chance to win is either subscribe over on our Patreon at Patreon slash Amazing Nerd Show on any tier level that you'd like, Or you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and DM us a screenshot when you're done. And then at the end of April, we'll randomly select five lucky winners. I mean, you can't really get better than that. I mean, not only do you get a chance to win the first season of an awesome new show, but you also get the satisfaction of helping support the podcast.
2: Well, season one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds is now on Blu-ray, DVD, and limited edition Blu-ray Steelbook. Experience every episode like never before with over 100. Hundred minutes of special features including exclusive cast and crew interviews a gag reel deleted scenes and more own the emmy nominated first season of star trek strange new worlds from cbs and paramount home entertainment today
1: limited edition 4k ultra hd steelbook available for pre-order now Uh, this week we did have a couple people leave five star ratings on apple podcasts But if you don't DM us a screenshot, we have no clue who those five-star ratings are actually coming from. So once again, just a reminder, make sure you DM us a screenshot so you can get credit for leaving your review and also get entered into the contest. But hey, if you're, you know, not interested in the contest for some reason and you just wanted to leave us a five-star rating, that's cool too. We're not complaining. (laughs) Also this weekend, if you live in the Chicagoland area or you just happen to be in the neighborhood, uh, we are going to be at C2E2 as media uh, covering all the great panels. So you know what? Stop by. Say hi if you see us walking about. Yeah, we're
2: also going to be taking pictures of the best cosplay we find. Uh, We'll have you take a picture with the
1: big gold belt, the amazing nerd show title. Yes, the highly prestigious amazing nerd show title. Uh, You know, and hey, even if you're not at the convention, make sure to follow us on social media media to check out all that amazing uh, cosplay Uh, you can follow us at amazing nerd show we're on Twitter Facebook and Instagram I don't think we're on anything else right Christian Uh, not currently okay (laughs) well there was that one weird social media website that I signed us up or that, oh, you know, what the fuck was when, that uh, when Twitter was burning, it's it, it uh-uh. seemed like yeah, I mean, it is still burning. Yes, but... Well, it is, but that's besides the point. <laughs> it's still up and running, at least for right uh-huh. now. But yeah, I signed us up for something else weird, but then I just forgot about it. It yeah, just wasn't working. But regardless, <laughs> <laughs> follow us at Amazing Nerd Show. Check out all the great, you know, cosplay from the weekend and, you know, perhaps other photos. And once again, if you happen to be there, you know, make sure to stop by and say hi. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions.
0: Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned.
1: Well, to start things off, we've got some awful news. Uh, Jonathan Majors was charged with assault and harassment after arrest in New York over this past weekend.
2: Jonathan Majors, who is a star in the MCU playing the next big bad King, has received multiple charges due to an alleged assault. Variety, who spoke with Majors' um, legal counsel, claimed that they are gathering irrefutable evidence of Majors' innocence, but this is an ongoing investigation, so we won't know for sure what went down until more is released, and you know, more information seems to be coming out every single day. As for Majors' upcoming roles, nothing has been said by Disney or by other major studios just yet, but, you know, his current, you know, army ads have already been pulled down.
1: Yeah. I mean, you got to figure if he's guilty of any of these, you know, heinous, you know, charges, Marvel's going to act swiftly, um, and remove him from the role. Um, I don't know what that looks like. And honestly, it, it doesn't really matter at this point. All that matters is the victim. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just horrible. Um, you know, I mean, hopefully it's not true um but yeah just awful news yeah i mean for
2: now it's something hard to comment on until more information really is uh made clear well all right let's
1: try to move on uh it looks like Liv tyler has officially kind of been confirmed for captain america 4 the Hollywood Reporter, along with some set
2: photos that got released, shows confirmation of Liv Tyler's involvement in Captain America 4. She is set to reprise her MCU role as Betty Ross, having not been a part of the MCU since 2008's The Incredible Hulk. Liv will be playing the daughter of President Thaddeus Ross, who has been recasted by Harrison Ford, who we also saw in New Pictures this week alongside Tim Blake Nelson, who is reprising his role as the leader. So it really does seem like we're bringing in all the big players from The Incredible Hulk in, you know, saying wilson's first solo film as cap which
1: comes out may 3rd 2024. i don't know if you remember this this has been a rumor for quite a while Um, so i'm glad that we finally got like some kind of like confirmation um like i don't know how to feel about this like i'm excited that we're gonna get more of hulk's story um since it really feels like that was cut really short due to you know marvel not having the rights to actually do a hulk film Um, So it's nice that we're going to kind of like revisit all those like dangling story threads, um, you know, from, you know, the first MCU official movie. Uh, But at the same time, like I'm worried that like Sam's going to get shortchanged here. I don't want him to get lost in the shuffle in his first official like film as Captain America. Uh, So hopefully the writers know what they're doing. Yeah, because it
2: is starting to sound like a lot of characters that he could possibly be going up against. I mean, Sharon Carter's still probably a part of this, right?
1: Yeah, I think that was the original plan. But then after the way like fans reacted to her storyline in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I think they kind of decided to pump the brakes on that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if we don't see like the whole Power Broker thing play out in Armor Wars, because that also feels like a natural, you know, fit.
2: But as far as Liv Tyler, you know, joining the cast, I'm just hoping... You know, that we get that Red She-Hulk essentially <laughs> down the road, not in this film. Yeah, I was going to say, road.
1: <laughs> I was like, that's a lot because you got to figure we're, we're getting Red Hulk here and we're also going to uh, get I... like Bruce Banner. Right. So and the leader. <laughs> So there's a lot of moving parts here and like the whole like new world order, you know, Hmm. tagline makes me feel like Hydra is probably involved, but that's just me purely speculating. So I don't know, man, there's a lot of moving parts going on here. So I'm just a little concerned right now for Sam. So hopefully they have a great script and, you know, I have nothing to worry about. Well, speaking of an element that might play a part in Captain America 4, it looks like Marvel's Thunderbolts recruited a new writer. Marvel Studios has signed on Netflix's beef series showrunner Lee Sung Jin to
2: be the new writer on the Thunderbolts film. Um, Lee noticeably doesn't have any film writing credits, but he has worked on several shows, like um, Always Sunny, as well as working with director Jake Schreier and actor Stephen Yoon on the beef series, which um, Lee told Variety Jake asked him on you know after losing Eric Pearson. Lee also went on to talk talk about how he's completely rewriting the film as well, but this one is currently slated for July 26, 2024, so hopefully that script gets done soon. On top of that, though, industry insider Jeff Snyder started up some rumors this week that could play into both Cap 4 and Thunderbolts. Again, potentially heavy spoilers here for those films, but apparently Valentina is believed to be the mastermind behind the Serpent Society, and this info will be discovered in Cap 4, with the team also appearing in Thunderbolts going after Adamantium, somewhere near the um, Hand of the Celestial that popped up in the Eternals, which for X Men fans is a heavy sign of the upcoming debut of. Wolverine since his bones are coated in the stuff.
1: Well, moving on, we've got some news on the upcoming Daredevil Born Again series.
2: Mr. Wilson Fisk himself, Vincent D'Onofrio, teased a second season of Daredevil Born Again while being interviewed for his upcoming show, Godfather of Harlem. In the interview with Newsweek, D'Onofrio claimed that there will be gigantic payoffs in the second season, along with the first that fans are going to be pleased about. On top of that, set photos leaked on Reddit showed D'Onofrio in what looks like Fisk's mayor getup. Along with that, News, we actually also got casting for the Daredevil show for a character named Harry. Deadline reports that that Artie faucian of Amazon's Carnival Row and also HBO's House of the Dragon has been casted. Um, Harry is described simply as an associate of Wilson Fisk, but if you ask me, he's most likely going to be Fisk's main help in dealing with Daredevil. Wait, so what the hell does mayor get up mean, Christian? I'm just saying it's outside of his normal clothing that we see him in. He's in a sharp suit, he looks more or, you know, like a mayor like a
1: politician,
2: like a politician. Yeah.
1: So is this just you speculating or is this like people on the internet speculating me and everybody else? Okay, sure. <laughs> um, we have heard about this for a while uh-huh. and there's been numerous articles written that, you know, we might be looking at a situation where we're seeing like the mayor Fisk storyline play out here. Um, you know what that looks like for, you know, Fisk now having the ultimate power. Um, you know, and control over New York, uh, what that means for Daredevil, if Mm -hmm. you will. Now, I could honestly see all this being the case, especially if like the rumors are true that part of the show takes place during the blip. We did have that one photo of Matt standing like outside next to a sign that was blip related. Um, I do believe some people were questioning the validity of the shot, Um, and it might've been debunked, but It kind of makes sense and lines up with the Mayor Fist storyline because if you remember in the comic books, Wilson takes advantage of everything that's going down during the Secret Empire uh, story um, where New York is under siege and he like protects like the citizens of New York. So then after the conclusion of that whole event, he's gained the trust of, you know, the citizens of New York and that's how he ends up like getting himself elected mayor. So maybe, just maybe, and this might be a stretch, but, you know, he does something similar during the blip in the MCU and he gains the trust of, you know, the people of New York. And that's how he ends up getting elected once all the heroes come back. But that's pure speculation Uh at at, at best. (laughs) But it makes sense, right? Like, that would be the easy way to do it. I mean, it would be different than what Frank Miller did in, you know, his Born Again uh, story arc. Mm. Um, but at the same time it would work in this universe. Cause now you have Wilson with like the ultimate power as mayor, you know, making Daredevil's life a living hell. Now, now this hairy guy, uh, they, they casted for, right? I, I have no clue. I have no clue who that <laughs> could possibly be.
2: Um, you, you don't think, you know, you know, a new version of bullseye, right?
1: Maybe. And they're just using the name to throw mm-hmm. people off. Um,
2: i mean the guy he, does give me very bullseye like based off the headshots and what i've seen from okay. shows.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure
1: <laughs> um He could also just be a right-hand man who does, you know, a lot of the derby work for (laughs) Fisk. He doesn't have to be one of his, like, assassins, though. Uh Um, But, you know, who knows? Maybe they recasted Bullseye, and I'm totally fine with that, honestly. So, like, I love the Netflix Daredevil series, but I was never a huge fan of what they did with, you know, their version of Bullseye. So I'm fine with them starting from scratch. Um, But, I mean, Fisk has a lot of, like, you know, concierge-type characters, so... I mean, this just might be one of them.
2: We also got news of another castmate for Deadpool Three and Succession star Matthew McFadyen. Um, no word on what the role may be just yet, but with rumors of this being, you know, a multiversal story, who knows what any of the cast could be playing? I mean, you could literally get any number of variants. Um, so we'll just have to wait till more information or a trailer drops for this film coming out November eighth, twenty twenty
1: four. But anyway, up next, it looks like we might have gotten a concrete premiere date for Marvel's. Secret Invasion series. Disney this week had dropped a
2: release date on Disney Plus for the upcoming Secret Invasion series for June 21st this year, which, you know, lined up perfectly for a lot of those rumored timeframes. However, Disney later unlisted the series, which has sparked many to believe that there may actually be a
1: delay. I mean, I hope that's not the case, but we did hear last week that it's like set in stone that it's supposed mm. to come out in June, so... Knock on wood. Hopefully this is just like an intern screwing up and he might have released the date a little too soon. At
2: some point, they gotta just roll with these types of mistakes, though, you know, instead of constantly taking things down. But I'm sure they have like a trailer or something in mind.
1: Yeah, where they'll like actually make an official announcement because you got to figure out we're due for a new trailer soon. Well,
2: actually, this just in, Amelia Clark's character was revealed by Samuel L. Jackson for the series. When talking with Vanity Fair, Jackson mentioned that she would be playing the little girl named G from Captain Marvel, who is the daughter of Talos. But even with that news, there still isn't, um, you know, an update to the date just yet. But I'm imagining we're getting pretty close to a trailer drop. It just feels that way now.
1: Well, moving on, it looks like Sony Pictures plans on dropping an Across the Spider-Verse Miles Morales short film. According to Variety,
2: Sony has planned an animation-featured short highlighting Miles Morales' anxiety for the Anansi International Animation Film Festival happening in June called The Spider Within. Uh, this would actually be actually After the release of the Across the Spider-Verse, which is slated for June 2nd, uh, the film is to show uh, Miles struggling with anxiety and seeking professional help, all in an effort to kind of push a positive message about reaching out to others. There's no word on a release outside the festival, but you have to imagine
1: they will run it maybe after Across the Spider-Verse has left the theaters. Well, up next, moving on to the DC Universe, it looks like we possibly have a villain reveal for Matt Reeves' upcoming The Batman series
2: well it's been rumored that there have been several script changes going on for the batman 2 deadline sources say that the villain for the sequel will be clayface um the batman 2 is currently set for october 3rd
1: 2025 so like throughout the years there's been a lot of different like iterations of clayface um but the main one is basil carlo Mm -hmm. um but i don't know like to me like the character feels almost too, like, fantastical, if that's an actual word, um, for, like, Matt Reeves, like, Gotham City. Um, am I wrong here? No, but, like, in, even when I try
2: to, like, think about turning this character into a more grounded version, I feel like it just turns into, like, a version of Hush in the end, you know?
1: Well, speaking of which, uh, there's actually tons of rumors that Hush might actually be part of this film also. Um... But I don't know. I don't know. It, it'll be interesting. I mean, I guess they kind of teased like like Batman using Venom last film. So if they're going that route, I guess it's not out of the realm of possibilities that they could do like a character like Clayface. Um, I just don't know what that character would look like in like Matt Reeves' universe. Um, but I'm intrigued by it, and, and I'm sure he's got a cool concept. You know, if you know he is going that route. I mean, Basil's a complicated character, uh, especially like the latest version of him, because I do believe he ends up working with Batman at a certain point. Um, So he's much more of like this like tragic, you know, monster type character. But like I said, there's been so many different versions of the character because that's just the Basil Carlo version. Um, and there's been just, you know, different versions of Basil Carlo because of different continuities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, who knows what direction he's going to be going into? This might be a completely different you know, new character altogether. But speaking of Clayface, there was also another story that came out about the character where I guess, you know, horror director Mike Flanagan was pitching a solo movie, but it was kind of unclear whether or not he pitched that to Gunn or, you know, the former regime over at Warner Brothers. Uh, But he did end up putting out a Twitter post saying that the news was like just speculative and that if anything like that ever becomes real, like, You know, he promises that he'll let people know. So who knows? Maybe he made a pitch a while ago and it just got out. All right, so it also looks like we have some casting news for the upcoming Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel. Deadline
2: reported that filming is underway for Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel and has added the stars Patton Oswalt and Kamal Nanjani, who co-starred in The Eternals previously. It is said that the film will be taking our cast
1: back to New York, where
2: the original team's base was, as the working title is also Firehouse.
1: I totally forgot Patton Oswalt was in The Eternals. Yeah, I mean, it's
2: only for a second. Yes. So. (laughs)
1: This is a pretty awful second. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> Fucking Pip the Troll. Um, but anyway, uh, on the horror front, we also have a couple little news stories that don't have much detail, so we won't really be able to dive that deep into them. But it looks like Ryan Kugler of, of course, Black Panther and Creed fame uh, is going to be working on a X-Files series. That news came from an interview with uh, show creator Chris Carter. like I said, there's really not any further details. And last but not least, it looks like Universal is going to be working on a remake to the mole people. Uh, Robert Kirkman is actually set to produce it. So in this new take, a woman travels to a town uh, veiled in conspiracy uh, to rescue her grandchildren from their father. To do this, she must fight through hell in the underground tunnels where the mole people reside. (laughs) Now, I'll be honest, like, I've only seen this film, like, a handful of times on uh, Sven Gulli. Um, uh, <laughs> it's not a great film by any means. Uh, for some reason, like, the mole people get lumped in with the Universal Monsters sometimes. Uh, and I uh, think it's just due to, like, you know, licensing, you know, to put out toys and stuff. Oh, um, I don't know, the film came out in, like, the late 50s, and I don't know, I just don't consider them traditional Universal Monsters. Um. I do have a couple of their action figures, though, just because, you know, I'm a completionist. So it is what it is. But regardless, I mean, I am curious because Kirkman's involved. I mean, he's a talented writer. And if anyone can pull off the mole people, I, you know, Kirkman can. So we'll see.
0: And now for the nerds breakdown of the Mandalorian season three, episode five. Spoilers ahead. Reef
2: Karga is now a high magistrate and has offered me a tract of land on his independent world. Perhaps it is time for us to live in the light once again on a planet where we are welcome so our culture may flourish and our children can feel what it is to
3: play in the sunlight.
2: This week on The Mandalorian, we revisit High Magistrate Grief Karga on his independent planet of Navarro. While working on new construction plans for the city, the pirates that him and Mando pissed off in Episode 2 make their return with Pirate Lord Gorian Shard at the helm. Looking to seize the city, Shard threatens to open fire on Karga's people. Karga trying to bluff his way out of this situation claims they are under the protection of the New Republic, but Shard doesn't believe him and begins wrecking havoc on the people of Navarro 7. Karga and his council tried to evacuate the
1: city. So, like, I love grief and all, but like, what was his plan here? Like, he has no security whatsoever or resemblance of like law enforcement. (laughs) Like, was he never expecting to get attacked? Like, at all? I guess like, not. <laughs> It's weird. It doesn't even have, like, a
2: like a droid force or anything on his side.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit strange. Like, I know it's a small, like, community, but... I don't know. Just, I mean, talk about bad planning. And this isn't,
2: like, the first, like, city he's been, like, overwatching before. Like, he understands, you know, this is going to happen. Eventually, someone's going to attack. Yeah, and he just dealt with the
1: pirates, and I'm sure that wasn't his first run-in with them. So, like, I mean... He just assumed there'd be no retribution whatsoever? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Seems a bit strange. Like, during all this, I was half expecting to find out that, like, he somehow got IG-11 up and running. Because um, otherwise, like, <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. Like, you know, you would think he would have, like, some of his, like, former, like, bounty hunter, like, colleagues, um, you know, helping him out here. You know, like, at least policing the city. Exactly. And I... <laughs> And IG-11 is just never going to get activated,
2: is it? Yeah, like, Like it
1: does feel like a weird story beat (laughs) that they kind of, like, wasted half an episode on. And, like, there's Uh been no payoff whatsoever. But I guess there's still time left, so we'll have to see how it all plays out. Cargo, having sent a distress
2: call out to the New Republic for aid, sends it to Carson Teva from Season 2, who is hanging out in the New Republic base on a planet called Adelphi when he's handed the Hollow. Learning of Navarro's fate, Carson wants to send a message out to Coruscant, and that's when a live-action version of Zeb from Star Wars Rebels joins him at the bar, reminding Carson that the government has just been swamped and hasn't been responding to any beacons in weeks.
1: Holy shit, I mean talk about out of left field. <laughs> like I had him on the bottom of the list of like rebel characters that we might see this season. Um, but I got to say like even though he's probably my least favorite character from that series, Um, I got excited when he showed up on screen. He looked fantastic. Like, he looks better. Yeah, they did him justice. He looks better than he did in, you know, the animated series. (laughs) So um, they did a great job with, the you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was all CGI, if there's some practical effects mixed in, but he looked fantastic. I mean, it's just a brief cameo, but you got to figure that it's going to lead to something more later on down the line, you know, perhaps in the Ahsoka series. Carson then
2: decides to head to Coruscant himself, hoping that an in-person meeting would, you know, get the people of Navarro aid faster. However, once there, his request is simply looked at as a non-priority, as Colonel Tuttle, with a desk full of work in front of him, you know, doesn't really see an independent planet as one of their pressing issues. Along with that, it doesn't really seem to help when G-68 decides to, you know, chime in with their thoughts on the matter, as they believe the planet may have to learn their lesson for not signing on to be a part of the Republic
1: yeah this is definitely bureaucracy at play Um, I don't know what the fuck Tim Meadows is doing here (laughs) (laughs) but good on him for getting work Um, I do like that we're seeing this season cracks forming you know in the new Republic um, and how like we have sleeper cells of you know remnants working from within to kind of like meddle with things. I'm glad that they brought back G-68 and that wasn't like a one and done situation for her character. Um, you gotta figure she's working for like Gideon or, you know, some other higher up at this point. And that mm-hmm. there's like a bigger conspiracy at play. I mean, you gotta figure this is all kind of laying the groundwork for, you know, the First Order and like their rise to power.
2: My question is just how much, you know, is she protecting what's going on over there or did she just, you know, happen to stumble into this conversation? I think it's a little bit of both.
1: I'm sure, you know, she just happened in on that conversation, but she's there for the reason of making sure, you know, she's setting the stage for, you know, the return of the Empire. Carson believes
2: these pirates may have connections to the remnants of the Empire, so he's displeased with pretty much getting denied backup for this mission. So instead, he heads out to the planet that the Mandalorians have been hiding out on, uh, thanks to R5, who sent him their location. Uh, The Mandalorians are far from pleased to have their hideout given up, but Din Djarin hears Carson out after he mentions it's Karga who is in trouble. He reached out to R5? Or did R5 reach out to him? I'm confused. In the scene, he just thanks R5. It isn't exactly clear. Like, I think he was looking out, so maybe he
1: reached out to R5, but I don't know why he would know Mando had him. Yeah, unless there's like some kind of log or something that states like what droids are commissioned to who but why would he not to even like look into that? Exactly. And I don't feel like
2: Polly Motto was keeping a log of any of her drawings. That's
1: true, because she's probably stolen uh-huh. half of them, right?
2: Exactly.
1: I do like that we also got another nod to R5's history with the mm-hmm. you know Rebel Alliance, like in him playing like a major role, which is something that we've seen stories written about, like at least in Legends. Now, Carson was supposed to be part of the Ranger series, uh, the hmm. spin-off series that they were going to do. Um, I'm wondering if this is a storyline that was going to play out during that series. Oh, possible. I was also surprised by how much hostility like the Mandalorians had towards the New Republic.
2: Well, I mean, it is their secret base
1: <laughs> that no one's supposed to know about. Yeah, but at that point he already found them. So, I mean, uh-huh. I don't know. It felt a little more deeper rooted. Than just, like, him discovering their base, though. I'm just wondering if there's some kind of, like, backstory where there's resentment towards the New Republic because they feel like they didn't do enough for the Mandalorians. Perhaps.
2: I mean, where was the New Republic when everything fell, you know? Well, I actually wasn't around. Yeah, yet, it was just so. the Rebel Alliance at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'm just reading into things. After Carson leaves, Din decides to you know try and rally his people together to aid Navarro Seven. Which the last time the Watch actually dealt with Karga and Navarro Seven, they were there to help Dinjarin and Grogu escape. So it's no easy speech for you know Mando to give. However, he attempts to leverage the fact that they will need a new home now that their current base was discovered, and that Karga
1: has offered him land payment for protecting the planet. Yeah, not only were they helping him escape Navarro, like they were helping him escape from Grief Karga. So I can totally understand why they'd be resistant to like, you know, helping him out now. Paz decides
2: to give his thoughts on this matter, you know, claiming how Karga's men killed many Mandalorians that fateful night in season one, and that many have died to just protect one foundling. So, why would they help? Well, because they are Mandalorians, and it seems Din Djarin and bo efforts in saving his son has really warmed him up to the pair. Personally, Paz's speech, you know, would not have got me on board for this mission. I was not impressed by his turnaround there.
1: You're such a curmudgeon, Christian. Oh, <laughs> why? <laughs> What was wrong with the speech?
2: It just wasn't enough rah-rah after bringing people down about what happened. I mean, it felt like he harped on how many people died for so long that just to be like, but we're Mandalorian, so we're going to do this, all right? I believe in Mandu. That's that was kind of like it was like two sentences after just saying, yeah, so many of your friends died and then you might die for this. Why should you do this? Why should we care? I I don't know. It wasn't enough for me not enough.
1: Not enough hop into it. Enough hop into it. What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Your speech didn't do anything to move me. What the? (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) Um, and that's why you're not Mandalorian, Christian, because I was uh-huh. all full on board. You know, let's go, you know, <laughs> sign me up. Give me a jetpack. I'm ready. Um, No, I, I thought this was fine. Uh At first, I was like, what the fuck? This dude after they saved his kid and everything. Uh-huh. So I liked the baby face turn in the middle of the speech. I probably should have seen it coming, uh, especially after, you know, they once again saved his kid last episode. Um uh-huh. And I don't know. I liked The Mandalorians rallying around doing the right thing. So um, call me a suck or whatever. It worked. It worked for me. Karga, with the citizens he was able to evacuate, wait for help in a
2: camp they made nearby, while the pirates you know, kind of plunder and enjoy their ruined city. That's until the Mandalorians arrive. bo ship loaded with Mandalorians makes its way to the city, while Dinjarin takes on the cruiser in his N1 fighter. Karga watches on as Mando gives chase to a squad of pirates. Even outnumbered,
1: he's able to dip, dodge, and destroy pirates, getting the cruiser's attention off Bo's ship. So I thought all this was fantastic. I love seeing the Mandalorians at work in this like coordinated attack, um, you know, taking on the Pirate King. I mean, like before this series started, I never imagined that we'd see this many like live action Mandalorians on screen at once um, in a battle situation. So I don't know, man, like I was pretty in awe of all this um i'm also enjoying that like it seems like every episode we have one giant action set piece i mean it definitely feels like it's by design like maybe after like fans reaction to um you know book of boba Fat. In the city, we see what fully trained
2: Mandalorians are capable of, as they go through pirates with military precision. When the pirates attempt to ambush the Mandalorians, Paz brings out the big guns, using his laser minigun to cut through the pirates. Across the way, a turret becomes their next big problem, and this is when we see the armorer in action as she sneaks up into the building and uses her forged tools to kill all the men stationed by the turret.
1: Yeah, I forgot what a badass the armorer really is. Like, because mm-hmm. we didn't see her in action uh, in the second season, right? It was the first season where, you know. Yeah, first season. Where we see her, like, thrashing stormtroopers, right, with her tools. And I like that, like, once again here, like, she doesn't need any blasters or anything. Like, you know, she she just has her tools to get the job done. No, she comes in like Thor, just bashing people with a hammer.
2: In the sky, Bo returns to help Mando as her larger guns can do heavier damage to the Pirate Lord's ship. Shard, panicking, tries to call back his fleet, but in doing so, Mando is able to now turn the tides and take down ship after ship. Shard, feeling his impending doom, tries once more to fire upon the city, as his men have actually been overrun by now. But Bo is able to
1: get in those final blasts to take Shard's ship down, which ultimately kills the Pirate Lord. Although we didn't see a body, Christian, so unless we see a body, I'm never going to assume anyone's dead in Star Wars. Fair, fair. He could show up like later in the season. I will say, though, like if he is dead, I'll be kind of bummed. I enjoyed the character and the whole idea of a Pirate King. um, And I wanted to know more, like his backstory and everything, which I'm sure eventually we'll get in some like novel or comic, right? Um, Now, with that being said, the one guy I'm sure we'll see more of is Vane. Um, He just seems like that kind of Weasley Star Wars character. They'll be like popping up, you know, here and there. He just gives me like early Hondo vibes. Although Mm -hmm. Hondo end up turning into a totally different character by the end. Um, But yeah, no, he definitely gives me Hondo vibes. Giant douchebag in the
0: end.
1: (laughs) No, he isn't. When he shows up on Rebels. He still sucks. I don't care. No, whatever. He's got issues with pirates and everything today, like giant rah-rah speeches. I love the
2: action sequences. I thought that was awesome. (laughs) Grief Karga gives thanks to the Mandalorians that fought for them and as promised, offer them a new home, giving them a large tract of land to call their own. However, the Armorer calls upon a meeting with Bo-Katan back at her old forge. To Bo's surprise, the Armorer has Bo take off her helmet
1: after speaking on the Great Forge of Mandalore. Yeah, I was totally taken aback by this too, um... I didn't know what was about to happen. I was almost like half expecting uh, the armor to take off her helmet also. Yeah, I kept waiting for that to happen as well.
2: The Armorer acknowledges that many have strayed from the way, but she wishes to have the Mandalorians reunite. The Armorer seems to believe that Bo-Katan, seeing the Mythosaur, is a sign that it's time for all Mandalorians to come together and reclaim Mandalore. And with that, the Armorer brings Bo-Katan before all the other people without her helmet on and states that Bo, who has walked both paths, will be the one to reunite
1: all Mandalorians. So while like last episode, I did believe the Armorer actually believed Bo-Katan Tan's, um, story. Um, I didn't see any of this coming though, especially the whole idea of, you know, her reuniting the clans. I was expecting Bo to be the one pushing for that, not the armorer, mm-hmm. but I don't know, I guess it's just like, you know, Bo seeing the mythosaur and that playing into the prophecy has just like inspired this like change of heart with the armor. Cause it does feel like almost out of character for her because honestly, like before this episode, it was kind of like either you know you follow the creed or you're not mandalorian and that was it um yeah it like
2: the look on Bo's face here just felt like she was fully you know part of this clan at this point like she believes in the armor's cause and what she wants her to go out and do you know it it does benefit Bo a lot here because that's probably what
1: she really wants is to bring everyone together yes that that's why i was going to say like i mean this was probably her plan from the get-go, what she was hoping for. I just don't know if she was ever like truly convinced that she would ever be able to like inspire a change of heart with, you know, the children of the Watch. Especially knowing how like devout they are, mm-hmm. we leave things
2: off with Carson Teva, who discovers a damaged floating transport ship on his patrol. After confirming that it was a ship that was logged missing, he sends out a probe from his R2 unit to see inside the wreckage. What he discovers is that this was in fact Moff Gideon's transport, and the rumors of him never making it to trial were true. Along with that, he finds some Beskar plating, meaning it was Mandalorians who helped Gideon
1: escape. As our episode. Comes, Yeah, this episode was just full of surprises, because, like, once again, this was an angle I didn't see coming whatsoever. So do you think this is a group of Mandalorians who are somehow loyal to Moff Gideon, kind of like what we had with, like, Death Watch and uh, Darth Maul? Or do you think this is a group of Mandalorians who didn't trust the New Republic to dish out, like, proper punishment to Gideon, and they wanted to take matters into their own hands. I'm under the impression that this is probably going
2: to be a group that was hired by probably remnant Imperials to break him free, um, and will ultimately be loyal and working with um, Gideon here. Um, On top of that, I think it's going to be people that directly worked for um, Bo beforehand. I think it's going to be, you know, she's going to go looking for her clan and going to be running into a rude awakening here. It's going to be people that just
1: ended up on the other side. So you're basically predicting a Sasha Banks heel turn is what you're saying? Absolutely. (laughs) I don't know, man. Like after (laughs) what Gideon did to the Mandalorians, I would find it very hard to believe that any sect could be hired, you know, to rescue him. I think it's more likely it's a group that was originally like loyal to him because he had the Darksaber, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of like, you know, Death Watch and Maul.
2: I also have this wild idea that there's a possibility that It could be no mandalorians at all you know they had access to mandalore and they could possibly have been you know mining beskar and using the great forge as it was mentioned in this
1: episode so then do you think it's maybe like moff framing the mandalorians knowing that it would put them at odds with the new republic i think it's very possible
2: um i mean i do like the idea of having like Mandalorian versus Mandalorians on Mandalore at the end of the season but I think there's a chance that we could have multiple parties all fighting over you know the planet at the end of this at the end of whatever happens
1: here well I guess we'll have to wait to next week to find out Uh, make sure to join us then as we break down episode six of season three of the Mandalorian
0: and now for the nerds review of John Wick chapter four mild spoilers ahead
3: and now our feature presentation Single combat. If you win, you'll
0: have your freedom. And
3: when I see you, I'm gonna take what I want, so. Amen. Yeah.
1: John Wick uncovers a path to defeating the High Table, but before he can earn his freedom, Wick must face off against a new enemy with powerful alliances across the globe and forces that turn old friends into foes. John Wick Chapter 4 was directed by Chad Stahelski and stars Keanu Reeves, Lance Reddick, and Donnie Yen. This
2: may have been the longest John Wick film in the franchise, but it only served this action flick to add in bigger, badder fight sequences from start to finish that are also well done by the time the firing stops, you're just left craving more bullets. For me, like when watching The Boys on Amazon Prime, I walked into this thinking there's no way they can possibly top what they did last time, so I'll just be content with getting, you know, something as good as the last installment. But Chad Silhowski and company found a way to make each offer of this action series more enjoyable than the last. I was simply just left in awe because the sequences we got were exactly what I've been looking for in a gung-fu movie over the last decade. Not to even, you know, begin to talk about how much I love that they used a bunch of DJs that I'm super into um, for all the music in this film as well. The story is relatively simple. We got a new big bad in charge of putting down John Wick as played by Bill Skarsgård. He's been given, you know, for the full might of the tables to ensure john wick dies so we have him in charge of the elite assassins and he makes sure to send wave after wave after john but before that he does have to find him first so he goes after wick's allies and ultimately destroys the american continental and almost brings down the osaka branch as well john in his quest for vengeance and freedom seems to keep getting all of his allies hurt so he searches for a way to finally be free of the table and this sends him right back to his family to get permission to perform a sanctioned duel with the. Frenchman. While Wick's on this quest, the Frenchman sends out another indentured servant of the table after him in Donnie Yen's cane, which is pretty much this world's IP man. At the same time, the bounty is going up and up for Wick as he evades capture, which gets the attention of Mr. Nobody, as played by Shamir Anderson. This character, of course, has no relation to the 2021 film Nobody, that had a lot of the people that worked on John Wick on it, just just to make sure that that's clear. But anyway, this master tracker finds himself aiding Wick in order to raise his bounty and hopefully get a bigger paycheck in the end for killing him. It's all just a really big, fun, three-way battle that continues to happen throughout the entire film. Keanu Reeves' overall performance was definitely simplified for this film. Uh, they put action way before you know the script, it feels. Most of Keanu Reeves' parts, or just action. There's barely any talking for him. But the moments that we do get, you know, him talking with like Winston and stuff like that did a good job of really bringing everything together over these last four films, as all he wants is peace, and he will kill anything in his way to achieve it. The action itself is perfectly cut and paced to keep you on the edge of your seat while still giving you a grand fireworks display of violence. The only real gripe I had in the action was at certain points with our main henchmen, as because they are on par with Wick, at least armor wise wearing you know, those Kevlar suits, it means that there was really only one way to kill them, which was a bullet to the head. Watching enemies use suit jackets to guard their faces got a bit repetitive at times. And then there was this whole club fight sequence in where the people dancing were the most NPC-like characters I'd ever seen on screen. On top of that, it was some of the worst fake movie dancing I've ever seen captured, which was very distracting for me as I kept pointing out all these people doing the worst dance moves and while they're doing those dances they're also completely unfazed by all the violence happening around them you know there'll be people's blood you know spraying onto them uh, fucking People laying there dead next to them and they just keep partying like nothing's going on And this would make sense if they were all just like used to it or if it was if they explained that in some form or fashion But by the end of the fight, they all get scared and run away anyway So why weren't they reacting to a guy getting axed in the face literally ten minutes before that? It it made no sense and like the mini boss that he fights during this is pretty fun and everything like that and i felt like the fighting sequence itself was fun it's just there's so many little distractions around it that just had me looking more at them than the actual fight going on which is unfortunate because the rest of the film had me fully engaged the entire time i mean just like the third film this one felt you know, like it was heavily inspired by video game moments. I mean, we got this incredible sweeping shot from a top down angle where you're just watching Keanu go from room to room, blasting through people. It was so fun to watch. This was a thrill ride, you know, through and through, and it had a satisfying conclusion. And while I'm not convinced that this will be the last time we see Keanu in this role, I was satisfied by the entire, you know, franchise so far. So for me, this film gets a a minus. And I definitely think that this is one that you should be seeing in theaters. I mean, I went to go see it in Dobie and man, like they started off the film with these opening like practice punches from John Wick and the whole theater was shaking. It was badass. But anyway, go see John Wick Chapter four while you can. Great film. Absolutely worth it. If you're an action fan, you're going to love this film.
1: And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below-the-waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products.
2: The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and
1: using our code 20 nurcho for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped. So why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the Cordless Electric Beard Hedger. The Beard Hedger is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time, just like your mother.
2: (laughs) This waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair-cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So
1: with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manholes.
2: Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below the waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all if you know what I mean. So, listeners,
1: get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow.
2: Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.
0: And now it's time for Christian's Corner.
2: I was originally planning on talking about you know Ubisoft pulling from E3, but it seems that may have just been the last big nail in the coffin. As of this week, E3 2023 is officially cancelled. While the ESA and ReadPop who run the event, aren't calling it the death of E3 and you know saying that there might actually be more events in the future, uh, this just seems to be the general consensus from most gamers that this is pretty much the end. Um, in their statement, they claimed that you know the interested companies you know wouldn't have playable demos in time. and there being a lot of resource challenges but really all these companies are still planning on releasing something in that same time frame in June just on their own without needing the E3 show floor. The return of E3 has been a struggle since 2020 with even previous years not drawing as much as they used to but you know COVID didn't help at all. The fact that everyone was doing things from home pushed developers to come up with their own press conferences and ways to show off what's Coming next. You know, we saw state of play and stuff like that from Sony showing up before COVID happened. And there seemed to be a new trend of starting to do your own press conferences, but you know, the pandemic kind of just pushed that further. So with, you know, third parties actually, you know, following suit, this just all seemed to point at the end, you know, coming from the last four years. And while I'm disappointed to see the traditional E3 go, I completely understand why it happened, but I'm really going to miss those awkward performances we got every year, especially, you know, with like Just Dance and shit like that. I mean, you'll most likely still hear me say things like E3 season every June, um, you know, since I've just grown up with that. As I mentioned before, though, Xbox has a game showcase set for June 11th with a separate stream same day dedicated for Starfield. And Sony is rumored to have a big event this June as well that may actually show off your first look at the PS5 Pro. And I'm trying to see if, you know, Nintendo has scheduled an event, but I'm not seeing one just yet online. Um, either way, if there is an event, we will still live react to it on Twitch. I mean, honestly, doing live reactions was kind of my first thing into streaming. You know, I remember going on Periscope for like Twitter and after like every conference and would just start talking about what we saw during the conferences. But anyway, in other news, Tony Todd, who's voicing Venom in the Spider-Man 2 game, may have zeroed in the release date a little bit further for us. It was already set for a fall release, but Tony took to Twitter responding to people about how the game is set for September and promotional material is set to start in August, which kind of seems a little bit late, but perhaps they're showing something off at the start of summer as a tease, then pushing hard in August. But at the same time, this would lead to both Starfield and Spider-Man being out within the same month. So get your wallets ready, folks. Um, it's going to be a big battle between Xbox and Sony's big exclusives. As for me, um, I had to take this past weekend off from streaming to finally get my ass in gear on you know making my new office happen. So streaming will start up again. This this Monday after C2E2, as I will be at the con um, Saturday and Sunday. But as we speak, I'm recording this from uh, my bigger, better office. And as time goes on, I will have it you know, completely finished for you guys and we'll be doing you know, special events and shit in this office. Honestly, my plan is to really hit streaming harder than ever before. The start of this year, I've been really shaky with my schedule just due to circumstances outside of my control. And it's really been a bummer for me. Um, I really want to stick to that schedule. I want to have four days of streaming at least um, every single week. Um, And if I don't, I'm usually upset about that. You know, everything's kind of put me behind on my streaming and I want to do better. I want to put more content out there for you guys. So going forward, there's going to be longer streams, more friends slash guest streams for you to enjoy. So hit that follow button today to get notified on Twitch when The Amazing Nerd Show is live. Now, let's move on to some wrestling.
3: It only got worse at the Royal Rumble when the two of you, look at me when I'm talking to you. <laughs> when the two of you tried to take my career, my livelihood, what I do to provide for my family, you try to take it away. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be standing here today, but I am. So you didn't wanna look at me earlier, you better look at me now when I say this. Because tomorrow night, there's a part of me that doesn't wanna do what I have to do. But there's also a part of me that can't wait to do it. And I can tell, I look into your eyes, and I look into your eyes. I hear it in your voice. You guys know what's going to happen tomorrow night. And boys, let me reassure you, it ain't paranoia. We are taking your tag team titles at WrestleMania.
1: All right, Christian. So it is WrestleMania weekend, and I thought we'd take a break from our regular schedule programming, which is, you know, the typical AEW dynamite recap, and, you know, go ahead and make our predictions for, you know, this two night event. Uh, Christian, have you been keeping up to speed with uh, WWE at all? Oh, totally. I-, I watch every single week. <laughs> I'm the biggest fan. Um, so that's a huge no. Uh, no. I, on not. the other hand, have to a certain extent. Um, If I don't watch a full episode, I'll at least, you know, watch the highlights and, you know, get the recaps and everything. So I feel like I have a decent grasp of what's actually going on. Um, Hmm. You know, to me, you know, WrestleMania this year is really a, you know, two match card. Um, It's all about, you know, the bloodline, of course, you know, with Cody going up against Roman. And then you also have, you know, Sammy and KO going up against the Usos. Um, The undercard is a little lackluster, but I feel like overall it'll probably be salvaged in the ring because, you know, as long as they're given, you know, the proper amount of time WWE has tons of talent and you know they'll pull off some great matches you know regardless of the booking right like Lesnar and Omos they're gonna go 60 (laughs) minutes it's gonna be a beautiful oh my god I would literally tear the eyes out of my head (laughs) I, (laughs) I think five minutes is too long for this match but anyway let's go ahead and get started uh they did actually release you know Kind of a schedule. It's not necessarily the order of the matches, but we at least know what day the matches are taking place on. The one match placement we do know is Austin Theory versus John Cena, which is going to be kicking off night one on Saturday. We're going to try to do this rapid-fire style, Christian, because it's a lot of matches and we don't have a lot of time. Uh, So let's get things started. Uh, Who do you have winning Cena versus Austin Theory? I'm going to put Austin Theory over. I think John Cena will do the job just to put him, you know, give him the honors, you know? I agree 100%, especially after that, like, tongue-lashing he gave him, uh, like, a couple weeks ago on Raw. Um, He completely decimated him. (laughs) So, I mean, it would be a fucking crime after Verbal. Committing murder in the ring in front of thousands of people. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to say you know Cena does the honors here, and we kind of have like a passing of the torch situation for Austin Theory. Exactly. I mean, if this was 2010,
2: Cena, then yes, Cena would win. But no, this, oh yes, this of is a course, Super Cena. Give yeah. me a break. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is a very different Cena at this point. Usually, when he verbally destroys someone, you know he's about to do the job to them hmm. now. All right, so in no particular order, we'll go through the rest of the card. Uh, We've got the showcase tag match up next, which sees Braun Strowman and Ricochet versus the Street Profits versus the Viking Raiders. Um, I'm just surprised that this match isn't for number one contendership. Like, it's kind of weird. This is seemingly in place of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, Um, but that's still taking place. But it's um, on SmackDown the Friday before. So this is just more about like getting as many people on the card as possible, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I wouldn't be surprised if they don't make some kind of announcement saying this is for like, you know, a title shot or something, you know, along those lines. Uh, But who do you have winning here, Christian? Uh, Just on you know, star power alone, I'm going to put the Street Profits over. Yeah, I agree 100% just because I feel like they've got big plans for the Street Profits this Mm -hmm. year. Um, I feel like you're going to see Montez Ford at least getting like a singles push in the near future. And I wouldn't be surprised if like next year at this time, he's not in a featured match on WrestleMania. So I'm going to say Street Profits also. Well, up next, we have Rey Mysterio versus Dominic Mysterio. Father versus son, Christian. Who do you have?
2: I, I'm i torn, but I think Dominic will definitely win. I think they'll have some shenanigans and we'll get... I, I mean, he probably needs his comeuppance for, you know, beating his family for so many weeks, but... It, it Wouldn't it be the wiser choice to have Dominic go over so that he's a bigger threat to the rest of the card?
1: Yeah, I think you're going to have Dominic go over here because I don't think this is going to be the end of the feud. Mm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get like a hair versus mask match eventually between ah. these two. Dominic has been growing out of his hair. I mm. mean, it's Lucha tradition. Um, you could even use it as a passing of the torch, you know, if he collects his father's mask. And then he continues the tradition of the mask, you know, moving forward. Um That might be a bit of a stretch, but I do feel like eventually he's going to get his father's mask. Like I could see like the climax of it really being like Dominic getting his head shaved by his dad. Um, But I do feel like eventually something like that will happen between Dominic and Ray, Uh, especially with Ray going to the Hall of Fame this year. I feel like retirement's Mm -hmm. right around the corner. But I've got to say I will. I want to give credit where credit's due. Dominic has really turned things around as a character. Um, he's been a great heel and he's really like taken to this like new role. All right. Well, anyway, uh, moving forward, we've got Seth Rollins versus Logan
2: Paul. I have no idea. Um, I guess I would have to go Logan Paul just cause he's the rising star here in the company, but I, I don't know. H-
1: how has he been in the shows? I have no idea. Obnoxious. Horrible. Okay. Um, he <laughs> is a straight heel now. You know, I, I'm glad that they went ahead and committed to that because he just wasn't working as a babyface. No matter how mm. spectacular his, you know, couple matches have been in the ring, people still fucking hate the guy. Um, I think the match is going to be great. Um, but I feel like Rollins is probably going to go over here, especially since Paul recently leaked that WrestleMania is supposed to be the end of his contract, which is kind of weird because oh. they announced that he signed for a multi-year deal. Yeah. Um. So I don't understand how that works unless like he decided he wanted out and they granted, you know, him a release after Mania. It it seems weird to me, but um, I'm sure they weren't happy that, you know, he left that league because I feel like that kind of lets you know who's going to walk away the winner mm-hmm. of this match, if that is true. But anyway, moving on uh, up next, we have a. Women's trios match, I guess you could say. Uh, you know, for me, the one black eye for Triple H's uh, regime is the way they've been booking the women's division. It's been like incredibly lackluster. Um, just feels kind of like an afterthought, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, like none of these women's matches have had a real proper build. Um, but with that being said, this match is Becky Lynch, Lita and Trish Stratus versus Damage Control.
2: Um, I feel like this will be a, a, you know, a hero match where, you know, Trish, Lita and Becky will obviously win over Damage Control. Um, but that's unfortunate to hear that the women's divisions like this, I thought for years that like the NXT women's division was like, you know, one of the best in all of wrestling under,
1: you know, triple H's role. No. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's why it's so so surprising. Um, like the, the, like Lita and Trish, like, you know, showing up just felt so like out of nowhere. Um, and this Becky Lynch damage control, like storyline has been going on forever. And Mm -hmm. like, Becky just keeps on beating them and beating them and beating them to the point where like they have no steam left whatsoever. They feel like a, like a joke. So like, there's no heat whatsoever between these teams, at least in my opinion. Um, it's just it's such a disservice to where Bailey was a couple of years, you know, before her injury. Yeah. Um, you know, I was so excited when like this faction first formed and like it's been such a huge disappointment. And that's all underneath Triple H's watch. So yeah. um, you know, there's no one else to blame but him really. So, um, I'm gonna disagree with you here. I'm gonna say that damage control goes over because, uh, there's been rumors that we might see a Trish Stratus heel turn, mm. uh, and we might end up getting Trish versus Becky, um, as soon as SummerSlam. Well, that could be exciting, I guess. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> I will say, was just a couple years ago, Charlotte, like you know, had a great match with Trish. I mean, you could tell, like, Charlotte was totally, like, carrying her. Um, Uh But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we could see the same, you know, out of Becky versus Trish. Well, speaking of the women's division, uh, and this might actually end up being the main event of the first night, but not in my eyes. And don't get me wrong, like, usually I would say, like, you know, a world title should always main event to WrestleMania. Um, But, like, this build has been so fucking lackluster that... I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know if it's necessarily deserving. It's not the fault of the talents whatsoever. It's just once again, like the booking's just been really half-assed. But on night one, we have Rhea Ripley challenging Charlotte Flair for the SmackDown title. I mean, I feel like you got to give it to Rhea Ripley. She's had
2: a fantastic year as far as what I've seen. Um, so I, I'm putting her over for this
1: match, and it also would be, you know, her getting the win back. Yes, and that's kind of that's kind of the storyline they've been going with. Um, it's just been such a weird dynamic because Rhea is supposed to be the heel and Charlotte is supposed to be the face, but like the audience doesn't see it that way whatsoever. Um, you know, and Rhea is (laughs) just so over right now. Um, I do expect a great match between the two. Um, and I'm going to agree with you. I think Rhea is going to get the win and this is going to be the start of a new era for the women's division. Hopefully. (laughs) Anyway, last but not least, we have the main event in my eyes, uh, which is the Usos versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens.
2: I think you have to give it to Sami Zayn, no matter what team he's on at this point, just because it's
1: WrestleMania and you want to have the biggest pop possible, you know? Yes, I agree 100%. And like, I don't know, if this is done right, like story wise, this would be the proper climax to where, you know, we've been headed for this entire year. Um, It just makes sense. It feels like this is the start of the bloodline, like finally crumbling. You know, um, it starts with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, you know, finally taking the tag titles from the Usos, who have also had a tremendous reign. Um, I think they're, almost at two years at this point. I could be wrong. Um, And then, of course, it plays into, you know, the main event of Night 2, obviously. Well, speaking of Night 2, we have another tag team showcase match, this time for the women's division, where we'll see Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez versus Natalia and Shotzi versus Ronda Rousey and Shayna versus Sonya Deville and Chelsea Green. Uh, Can you say thrown together? (laughs) 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 like besides ronda and Shayna, like none of these are actual tag teams Uh and that should tell you all you need to know about this tag team division it's pretty non-existent once again i wouldn't be surprised if they don't make an announcement soon that like this is for number one contendership um but we'll have to see
2: who who are even the women's tag champions right now yo and dakota Oh, so okay, they're damage control? S- Yeah, okay. So
1: they got the tag team titles wrapped up in that feud mm. against the two legends and Becky Lynch. Gotcha. Um,
2: I mean. Just based off of it, I would have to assume Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler would, would get the win. But um, I have, you know, seen rumors that there's some big hopes for Raquel Rodriguez. But I'm assuming they would want her on a singles push um, in the near future. Yeah, that
1: that seems to be where they're headed with her. Um, actually, you know what, Christian, I'm totally wrong. It's not Damage Control that has the tag titles. It's actually Becky and Lita who have the tag titles. Oh, oh that's even weirder. Yeah, yeah, they beat Damage Control for it. Um, but yeah. You know, uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with Ronda and Shayna also. I know that's kind of where it seemed like this storyline was headed with the two of them. Um, But then I guess Ronda was out for a while with a broken arm and her arm is still broken, but somehow she's gotten cleared for this match. I have no idea how. Um, But, you know, I guess she could be kind of protected since it is, you know, a four way you know, tag match. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would guess that she'll be in the ring for a very limited amount of time. Uh, But yeah, no, I feel like it's Ronda and Shayna and I think they'll probably, you know, take those titles off of Becky and Lita uh, and then, you know, have a road warrior type, you know, run with those belts, just decimating the entire division, Um, which could be cool, honestly. So I just hope that they actually like build some teams up to go up against them. I doubt it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but it is what it is. Well, anyway, up next we have Brock Lesnar versus Omas.
2: Um, the only way I see Lesnar losing is if you know, just there's some type of shenanigans from
1: the outside. That's that's the only thing I can imagine. But other than that, Lesnar wins. This is all going to be about you know, them getting that money shot of Lesnar F5-ing Omos. Uh-huh. Right? Like, that. this is what this whole match is building up to. So, yeah, Lesnar picks up the win here. But anyway, moving on, uh, we have a Hell in the Cell match uh, between Edge and Finn Balor. Yeah, I had heard that there was going to be a Hell in the Cell match. I just didn't know who
2: had a feud going on that big enough wanted. that deserved yeah <laughs> me, too uh, me too christian
1: me too i was surprised to find out this was a hell in the cell match i'll be honest um, it feels like this feud has been going on for a fucking year um uh-huh. I don't know, man. I'm just worried that this match is going to slow down the momentum of the card because it is an Edge match and we know Edge is kind of like Triple H nowadays where he likes to go at least 40 minutes. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's a Hell in the Cell match where we know we're going to get a bunch of rest holds and we're not going to see any blood or real brutality. We're just going to have two guys dressed up for Halloween because uh, Balor is going to be the demon here and Edge is teasing being a, like a demonic character of some sort. So I don't know if we're going to get like so- Vampire Edge brute edge or what. Uh. So it's
2: going to be kind of like a best of, you know, Undertaker versus Edge at Hell in a Cell just without
1: any of the blood. Pretty much. Essentially. Pretty much. So, um hopefully it's Ed entertaining. Wins. Yeah. No, yes. 100%. I'm going with Edge. Um I hate the fact that we're going to see like Demon Finn Balor take another loss. Uh Uh, Since the last time we saw him, he was looking like a goof falling off the top rope, uh, you know, when he went up against Roman for the title. (laughs) So um, it is what it is, though. I'll just be happy that this like angle and storyline will be over with. Hopefully. Hopefully you know after this. Um but moving on, we've got Gunther versus Drew McIntyre versus Sheamus. Uh I think this has the potential to be the match of the weekend honestly.
2: Oh most definitely, but at the same time I'm trying to figure out a clear-cut winner. Um I'm guessing it's between Gunther and um Sheamus, but I I don't feel like they would hold Drew McIntyre with the Intercontinental title.
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, they might want to give Drew a moment, especially since they did him so wrong at Clash of the Castle. (laughs) Um, But I could see Gunther, you know, retaining. Um, He's had a pretty epic title run. And honestly, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't end up like beating Honky Tonk Man's, uh, you know, IC title record. Um, So I'm not sure... What day he's on at this point, but he's had that belt for a long time. I gotta say, like, you know, with all the shit we've been giving them for the way they treat NXT talent, um, you know, Gunther is definitely, you know, been getting a proper push, and that all actually started underneath McMahon. So, um, yeah, yeah, I I think it continues here. So I'm gonna go with Gunther. It's we we can't get back to Walter, like, I I know we've been changing other people's names, I'm fine with it now. Right. Honestly, I honestly feel like Gunther probably fits him better. It's just taken some time to get used to it. But now it just it feels natural. Moving on, we have the Raw women's title match uh, between Bianca Belair and Asuka. Um, it would be really cool to see Asuka win this match. But I'm, you
2: know, I'm dead set that Bianca's going to come out, you know, retaining the title.
1: You know, at first when Asuka, you know, won the Elimination Chamber and with the new gimmick and everything like that, I thought she was kind of sh- a shoe in you know, to, you know, beat Bianca at Mania. But, like, the build to this match has been so non-existent. Um, It's been basically Asuka coming out, like, week after week and just, you know, drooling, like, blue ooze out of her mouth. And Bianca, like, having to act, like, disturbed. Like, they they put, like, so little thought into this angle. I, I don't get it. Um... I'm going to go Bianca because they're really pushing this whole, like, you know, Miss WrestleMania thing, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you know, that that nickname doesn't mean you have to win every WrestleMania match because, I mean, Shawn Michaels was Mr. WrestleMania and he definitely, you know, lost plenty of WrestleMania matches. But with that being said, I I feel like they're not going to want to take that belt off of Bianca anytime soon. Um, And this just, you know, Asuka, unfortunately, at this point, storyline wise, doesn't seem to make sense. Um, I would love, you know, for Asuka to get a WrestleMania win um especially after she was done so wrong a couple of years ago after winning the Royal Rumble um but I just don't know if it's going to happen here. And there's a chance that they might want to unify the women's titles. I don't think so. I think they're looking to actually unify the men's titles. Mm. You know, after WrestleMania, so I think it's going to be the opposite. So, um But anyway, it all comes down to this. Uh, We have the undisputed WWE Universal Championship match, which sees the champion Roman Reigns versus the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes. Christian, who do you have winning?
2: I think Cody is the answer to finally, you know, taking the titles off of Roman Reigns. But how fucking funny would it be to have Roman leave, still Tribal Chief, still holding those titles? Dude, I... (laughs)
1: like i wouldn't be laughing right now if i didn't think it could happen and i uh-huh. i do feel like it could fucking happen um i think it would totally like just derail any momentum cody has mm-hmm. like if after all this talk he ends up like failing to finish the story you know in his words um man you want to talk about like having a crowd Like, walk out of WrestleMania disappointed and just heartbroken. That's exactly what would happen here. (laughs) To the point where I feel like, you know, even though like you've got a much more loyal WWE fan base nowadays, I feel like booking Roman to win would go a long way to undoing all of that. Um, you know and just cause some serious fucking angst. Mm. Um, Cody is incredibly over right now. It makes perfect sense for this storyline for Cody to finally dethrone you know Roman uh, and be the one to be that like knight in shiny armor um, you know, as you know your baby face champion. Um, you know, a lot of people are pointing to the fact that you know Roman is close to getting to like that a thousand day mark as champion. Fuck that. Who gives a shit? It's just a number (laughs)
2: Uh, in the
1: long run. Don't shoot yourself in the foot for some like made up history that no one really cares about. Um, You know, Bruno Sammartino had the fucking belt for like six years straight at one point. You know, it's still not the fucking record. So storyline wise... Like, Cody is the right call here. So hopefully, you know, WWE doesn't, like, shoot themselves in the foot. And, you know, they put the fucking belts on Cody. Um, Because I think a lot of people would, like, be tuning in in droves to see what, like, a Cody Rhodes reign would look like. And what would be in store next for the bloodline. Um, Because there's so many different, like routes they could take now Mm. and so many different stories that could like spin out of this. So I don't know, like they can't just be treading water again. Um, You know, after all's, you know, been said and done after a year of great storytelling. So I'm 100% going to go with Cody, but. Could I see Roman walking away? <laughs> Hell yes, I could. Uh, <laughs> and if that happens, I feel like that's going to be the biggest like telltale sign that Vince is now like meddling and creative. I mean, even if if he won, would would you just have him lose to Sammy at SummerSlam or something? Like, what? I have no clue. I have no oh clue. But man, if you want to undo some goodwill between you and your fans, this is the way to go about it. Like, <laughs> don't do it, Vince. You know, let Cody get the belts here. Well... There you have it. Those are our predictions for, you know, night one and night two of WrestleMania. Uh, make sure to tune in next week. Uh, we'll talk the highlights of WrestleMania. I don't think we're going to do a full review, uh, especially at that point, because it'll be a week out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, we'll probably talk about our favorite matches at least. So, But I'm also hearing that Tony Khan has another big announcement. So,
0: <laughs> so, I, so
1: I'm sure we'll be talking that also. Well, that does it for this week.
2: As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five star review. It really helps new listeners to
1: find the podcast and for us to continue
2: to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by the
1: Show.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to
2: rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more.
1: And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. Alright, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture, and whatever's going on in the world of
2: wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show.
3: He betrayed us. Sith are no better than Jedi. They claim to be powerful, but we put these two back together after the Jedi gutted them. Doubt will only lead to failure. Hold! Our combined strength will be rewarded. Mandalore will be yours, and Kenobi, this Sith pretender Dooku, and all our enemies will fall.